And so uh, next Sunday, I'll do a message that's designed to do that, and there's some special things we have designed. One of that is we're going to spend some time uh, with some fasting, and I'll explain to you how we're going to do that next Sunday, and then we're going to end with some prayer, because fasting without prayer is just not eating. And, um, and then we're going to do some other things to help you focus, all of us focus and refocus as we begin, begin this wonderful year together. Praise the Lord. So let's prepare to get into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today for the Christmas that we've just come through and the celebration and the times we've been able to gather with our family, whatever, however that's been, and especially with this family here. We thank you, Father, for, for this day that you've given us. It is a gift from you, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And we thank you for the worship to be able to come and worship freely and openly our God who provides for us, who's faithful, who blesses us with His blessing, and who is a God who loves us and has proven and demonstrated that love for us. And now, Father, we turn to the Word. We turn to the Word that You've given to us and You speak to us. You are a God who speaks. Idolatry serves God who cannot speak. Gods that are made of stone, gods that are made by man's hands, but they cannot speak. But you are a God who speaks to us. And you are speaking to us today. Not just as a congregation, as a community of believers, but you're speaking to each one of us personally, individually, and you know where each one of us is right now. You know what we need to hear. So our prayer this morning, Father, is that you would help us. That we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what the Spirit is saying to us today. And for this we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm going to do something this morning. I don't know that... Well, I'm sure I've done it. Uh, it's just rare. It's certainly not something I do very often. I'm going to repeat a message I've given before. And I'm trusting it's not going to come out the same way. And even if it did, you won't remember what I said before anyway, so it doesn't matter. <clears throat> now, it was a message I gave the first Sunday of this year. And I'm doing it because this phrase came to me again. And as, as I mentioned, I think it was... Uh, Christmas Eve. Sometimes I get a message uh, by I just know what, what to do. I just know what God wants to say to us. And sometimes it's in a series and the next step's obvious. But sometimes it's a phrase. It just comes to me and it just, it's just there. It's all I know how to describe it. And, and, and that's what this was. And, and the, the phrase relate, well, I'm gonna, before I tell you what the title is, you may have it up there. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I used to, I had a, we had a habit in our home when when our youngest sons, Matthew and Mark, and Mark's been with us for Christmas, we're so grateful. Matthew's still out in L.A. because his wife is due to deliver in two weeks. So, um, yeah, we're excited. We'll be going out there sometime early in next year. Um, but I used to, to we'd have a kind of a countdown to Christmas, is how many days. And then I would tease Mark, I think especially, because the day after Christmas, I said, well, Mark, only 364 days left. <laughs> And I was trying to indicate, I was teasing, I was trying to indicate there's a change now. We've got to begin to look forward again. And so uh, the title of this message is Turning a Page. And that's an expression we have, turn over a new leaf, turn a page. And what that, signif- what that signifies is something that you've just been reading, so in a book. If you've been just reading a book, and nowadays a lot of us do it online, that's how I learn. But I use, a, I use a Kindle, and the neat thing is you can actually turn pages with that. So you give the impression you actually have a book in your hands and turning pages. But the idea is you are leaving something you've just read, 
and there's something coming up that you don't quite know what that is yet. And, and, and the pages that you just finished is more recent to you, more familiar to you, because hopefully you remember what you just read. And if, you, if you're like me, I've been reading some of these books for a while, and so the, the beginning of the book, sometimes I've got to go back and remember who that character was, and maybe it's because I'm getting older. And I've got to go back and remember who that... So I'll go back and remember, because the further back it was, the more, the more it's, it's more distant in my memory. And, and life is like that. God has designed our lives because we live in something He does not live in. And that's time. That's all we've ever known. Everything we know has a beginning and has an end. We have a beginning. There's a beginning to life and there's an end that comes to life. And God has designed our, our experience from the very beginning in days. So when God created the earth and everything God did, He did it in seven days. And whether it was literally seven days or not, I, I don't know and I'm not going to get into it. But what the Bible tells us is God divided the week into seven days. And that's, that's because we could not handle one day that lasted for 70, 80 years. We need a time of refreshing. We need a time of, of starting over again. And very often, I'll, I'll say to Anita, if she's had a rough day or she may say to me, if I've just had one of those days where it seemed like everything I did was wrong, she said, well, tomorrow's a new day. And, and, and it's, it's just, this signifies, okay, I can put this, bed to, this day to bed when I lay my head down, and tomorrow is a fresh start, a, a new day. And so this week, between this Sunday and next Sunday, we will turn the page on a calendar, and we will be ending not a day, not a week, but we'll be ending a year. And I believe it's important to take this time to focus on what that means. That, that, that New Year is not just a time for parties. It's not just a time for celebration. I've often looked at these, these, these uh, movies or things like that where on New Year's Eve people go crazy and go wild. And I'm saying, why are they going so wild? I mean, it, you know. And, 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 and before I was saved, I, we did those kind of things too. It's like, what are, the, what are you celebrating? Because this year's over, but you don't know what next year's going to bring. And are you ready for next year? So I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about how we handle what's happened, what we need to let go of and what we need to remember, and then what we need to do to prepare for whatever it is that lies ahead. We sang some songs today to help. Pastor Ray had some great encouragement at the end that no matter what lies... I, I don't know that he knew what I was going to preach on. That, but that, that whatever lies ahead, there are some things we do know. And that's important to, to have our focus focus correctly. Uh, our focus correct. So, so, that's what the significance of turning a page is. So this year, this this... Friday night, when we come together, whether you're here or not, whether you're not here, it comes. Friday night, we're going to turn a page here. And we're going to end this year with a time of prayer, a very appropriate thing to do. Remembering the things that God has brought us through, how faithful God has brought us through. Regardless of how hard your year may have been, I have a word from God. You made it. <laughs> you're still here. And so, so God's brought us through some things, and it's a time to remember, again, whether you come here Wednesday, uh, Friday night or not, I hope you do, but make sure you take time to remember and give thanks to God for what He's brought you through. And then begin to pray and set yourself 
for this year that lies ahead. And we will end this, we'll end this year together by celebrating the Lord's table together, which speaks of our union with Him and our union together with one another. So it's a time, it's a time for, for transition, a time for change. Even though it's another day, it's, it's on a calendar, it's a time for change. And we human beings tend to look at things in blocks of years and weeks. And as I said, God designed things in those times. So in generations, he speaks into them. So let's look back a little bit um, for uh, to, to 2020. Uh, so to do that, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, turning the page. Ready or not, here it comes. Do you ever, back when people read books, I mean, you could, and I know some of you still do, hold a book in your hand and I'd try to go on vacation. I'd sit out on a beach and I'm trying to read this book. And I look up and the wind blew and it blew the pages ahead. And now I'm ahead in the story somewhere. And I've got to go back and find out where we are. Well, we're going to find where we are today and then turn the page. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this book to the church at Philippi. And he's sharing his own testimony. He's sharing about a change and a transition that he went through in his own life of when Christ met him on the road to Damascus. He was, he was, he was a committed Jew. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In fact, in a few verses before that, this verse, he talks about that. All the things that he was, all the things that he invested his life in. He was highly educated. He, he was trained in the Harvard Divinity School of his day. He sat at the feet of a, of a rabbi named Gamaliel, who was the most esteemed teaching rabbi of his day. And he sat under his feet and he learned and he rose through the ranks of the religious order, the religious elite, and became a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was commissioned by the high priest to go to take, to, to, to wipe out this heresy that had started called Christianity. And, and he was commissioned by them. He had letters of instructions to go to the city of Damascus and to uh, find out where these cults were hiding and to arrest them and to bring them to Jerusalem to be tried before the Sanhedrin. And that's where he was headed. And he was committed to what he was doing. He was dedicated to what he was doing. He was sold out to what he was doing. And he was very sincere. But you know, you can be sincere and wrong. So don't ever judge whether somebody's right or not by how sincere they are. Because they're just sincerely wrong. But God got a hold of him. And Jesus appeared to him on the road of Damascus. We're not going to take time to go over that. And it turned his life upside down and turned it around. And he did not know what was going on. And God had to send up somebody to him to lay hands on him and to speak to him. And then Jesus had to bring him out into the Arabian desert for about three years and train him and teach him directly because of the radical change that Paul was going to spearhead to get the church started in the right direction. And so Paul's talking here about a change that took place in his life, a transition that took place in his life. And he's looking back on those things that he was, he's just recited. I was, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a Jew. I was a Hebrew. Uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day. All the things which he would put in his resume if he were, if he were applying to be dean of some theological school. But he said a change took place. A chapter. He entered a new chapter of his life. He turned a page. He said, "In all the things that were gained to me, I have counted as loss 
for Christ. So we may back, look back on this year, and you have, may have gained some things. I hope you have. One of the things that occurred to me this morning to just ask you this question, because I asked myself this question. Maybe the most important question you can ask yourself as you end this year and turn into next year. Not how much money did you gain? Not, not you know, did you find a new house? Did you get a new car? Let me ask you this question. Do you know Jesus better now than you did a year ago? Is He more real to you today than He was a year ago? That's how we measure growth and success in God's eyes. Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, I have counted as loss for Christ. He'll explain what that means in a minute. Next verse. Yes, indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of God. That's good, but the word excellence there is a word in Greek, I know the word. It means to throw beyond. It's, it's, you ever watch a football game, you see the quarterback back and he's gonna, they're going to sack him. And, 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 and he doesn't, so he just throws the ball away. He throws it way over everybody's head so that nobody can catch it. That's what that word means. It means to throw something beyond. It, it, it means, I like what the New American Standard says. I count all things lost for the surpassing value. So Paul looks at the things in his life, his success, his possessions. He looks at his, his, at his respect that he had. And he said, I count. The word count there is a, in Greek is, a, is a, an accounting term which means I either count, see in accounting, you either count it as a debit or a credit. It's on one side of the ledger or the other side of the ledger. So Paul says, I've moved all these things that were so important to me. I've moved the things I've invested my whole life in. I've moved them from one side of the ledger to the other. I've moved them from the asset side to the liability side. Liability, why? Because it gets in my way of what I really want. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word knowledge there is a Greek word that means personal knowledge. It means an intimate knowledge. It's not an intellectual knowledge. It's the same word that's used when the Greeks translated the Old Testament. And the Old Testament Hebrew says in the beginning, Adam knew Eve and produced a child. So if, if you can't figure out what that means, I'll ask you to talk to Steve afterwards. He'll explain it to you. <laughs> Adam knew his wife, and the result of it, it produced a child. So it was a very physical, intimate connection, coming together union. And when they translated the Old Testament into Greek called the Septuagint, that was the word that was used for Adam intimately knew his wife. So Paul says, I traded everything that used to be an asset on my life. I moved it over to a liability because if I hold on to this, it's going to interfere with what I really treasure and that's an intimate personal relationship with Christ Jesus. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I want to talk about the word, of law, word loss. It really is only a loss to you if you haven't let it go. See, when you buy something, and this we just finished Christmas, 
and you, you, you go out to buy something for your spouse or for your children, you, 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 you treasure them, and so you, you look at whatever it is, that shirt, that tie, I didn't get any ties, that's good. Is it shirt, tie, tie or, or, or whatever, and you decide in the store whether what that price is is worth to you, is a, whether that shirt or that tie or that, or that wristwatch or that, that, that gold chain is worth more to you than the dollars that are on that price tag. And if it, ought, if it is more, then you freely make that exchange and you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't just, just let it go. But have you ever bought something and you weren't too sure? And you began to get it home? I, we did that this year. I bought a, bought a what was it? A, it was an air purifier. It was one of those inspirations I got in the store. And I bought it and it was not cheap. And I get it home and I thought, boy, this is going to clean up our air. And it measured, it measured how pure the air was. And I plug it in and turn it on and it says, your air is 100%. I'm saying, then why do I need it? So now I'm starting to regret what I just paid that store to get it. So I made sure I had the receipt. And I called them up and I said, can I take this thing back? See, I, I, I hadn't let go of the cost yet because I wasn't sure I valued that machine more than I did that couple hundred dollars that that thing cost. So sure enough, we took it back and I got the money back. Other people say to me, boy, how hard it must have been you to walk out of that big law firm. What you gave up. And I smiled and said, I never think of what I gave up. To me, I didn't give up anything. I gained. I've never looked back. Why? Because it didn't, it, what, what I got instead was the joy, and the, a lot of problems, but the joy and the satisfaction of knowing I was in God's will. Because that first year, we're out in a place I'd never heard of before called Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they don't have trees and they don't have hills and the roads are all straight. And it's just, I felt like I was, in, I kept saying, God, what did I do wrong? And my wife loved it because she's from the Midwest. And, but, but, so, but I'm out there, no income, nothing. I have my family with me. And by the way, the first year out there, our family doubled in size, unexpectedly. And I'm glad it did because part of what we doubled is with us this morning. But, but I never thought back, oh, why did I give all that up for this? So in the natural, it looked like I was crazy. It looked like lost. But I knew I was following God. I knew I was in God's will because there was something that was of far greater value to us than what I left in that big law firm offices facing the, 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 the Boston Harbor. I never looked back. For suffered the loss of all things and count them as Rubbish. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but I want to tell you what that word literally is in Greek. It, it, means, it means refuge. It means what I take my dog out to do every morning in my yard or our neighbor's yard, which I clean up. I'm not going to offend anybody, but I want you to get the full impact of these words. Because if I were to pick up her leftovers and I happen to get some of it on my hand... I don't say, well, I'll get around to that later on. That's no, not that important. I'll come in, give my wife a hug, and she'll go to everybody. No, you get something like that on your hands, I want to get, I want to get it off me right away. Because not only is it dirty, it's got, it's got germs in it. And I want to get that off my hands right away, if I ever, or you s- step in it. 
I'm not going to offend anybody, but I want you to get the full impact of what Paul's saying here. Because there was an emotional reaction he had to this. This was not just some intellectual thing he did. You want to get that off of you. Why? Because it's dirt. It's got germs. And Paul's saying, the things that I used to have in my life, the things that I got my value from, if I try to hold on to those things, it's, going to, it's worse than getting that all over my fingers. It will pollute me, my heart. I count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ. He's not talking about being saved. He's talking about knowing Him. Knowing Him. Next verse. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So Paul says, I, you know, he was, he was, in fact, his testimony to himself is, I, was, I kept the law. And so you and I aren't under the law, but we try to keep it. We measure our relationship with God by how good we are. And you know that because if you've had a day when you weren't quite so good, how confident are you in the next morning to go pray? But that's because your righteousness is still based in your thinking, and this is ingrained in us. So Paul says, I'm growing in the understanding that my standing before God has nothing to do with how good I've been or not. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be good, but your standing before God is not. It's because you're in Christ. It's the faith that I am in Christ, and in Him I have His righteousness. So it's His righteousness that I wear, which is the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10. And here's the focus. That I may know Him. That I may know Him. So he starts out by saying, I'm, I'm getting off my notes here. I want to make sure I don't. Okay. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings that I may be conformed to His death. I pray this almost every day. Verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Next verse. Not that I've already attained it or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Paul's response to the call that he heard from Jesus was he chose to let go of everything in his life that he trusted in because it was something of a surpassing value. And the surpassing value was, go back to verse 11. Verse 10. This is what he gave everything up for, that I may know him. That I may know him. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. The power of the Holy Spirit in his life. That I may... The fellowship or the sharing of his sufferings. That's a little hard to understand at this point. That I may be conformed to his death. We'll talk about that later on. Okay. So, his goal... I'll keep the next verse, 11 that by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul saying, my goal is that I may know Christ and that I may arrive at the resurrection from the dead. He's not just talking about here when Christ comes back and raises us all from the dead. He's talking about the resurrection from the deadness in your life. They're sitting there looking at me like you're dead. The deadness in his life. Deadness of our life, awareness of Christ. I've shared with you before, the, 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 the Bible is full of references, how God's Word is spirit and it's life. Jesus said that in John chapter 6. 
Solomon wrote it in Proverbs chapter 4. His words are spirit and they're life. Jesus said, I didn't came that you might have life and life more abundantly. It's not just, hey, I'm doing okay today. No, it's filled up with the life of God. The life that, Paul, that, 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 that Moses experienced when he spent 40 days on the mountaintop in the physical presence of God. 40 days and 40 nights, twice. And it says he neither ate, and you can do that, and he didn't drink anything. You can't do that. He neither had food nor water for 40 days and 40 nights and came down that mountain far more alive than he went up there and he was so alive that the glory of God was radiating off of him and he had no food to eat and no water to drink. Why? Because he was in the presence of absolute life himself. But because that life came by a personal, physical proximity, when he was not in God's presence, it began to fade out of his skin. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that we're transformed from one level of glory to the other as we look at God, Christ through the Word of God. So, resurrection here means not just eventually being raised from the dead. He's talking about the deadness in our life, the deadness in our relationship with God. Most of us are so dead in our relationship with God that we don't even know we are because we don't know what that life is. Uh, This is the challenge of God for this year. We ought to come a year from now if Jesus hasn't come back. If He comes back, you're going to be far more alive. So much more alive no matter what happens out in the world. No matter what COVID does or doesn't do. No matter what the economy does or doesn't do. The life of God is in you. If you're a Christian, the life of God is in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Romans 8.11 If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will also quicken your mortal body. He's not just talking about when Christ comes back to raise us from the dead, because your body will be dead then, unless He comes back soon. Talk about today. I don't know if you bet you, I hope you've had this experience, but there are a number of times I've come in that back door on a Sunday morning or Wednesday, especially Wednesday night, it's like, I'm not the only one that sometimes looks at church, I have to go to church tonight, yeah, you're the pastor, oh, okay, so I gotta go. But we did that before I was ever on staff. Come in here, it's like, and by the time that worship ends and the Word of God begins to come, it's like so alive. I've come up here with my body hurting from sickness. By the time I was done, I was so full of life. The sickness was driven out of my body. It's the life of God. And that's in you now, sitting in that seat, trying to stay awake and hoping it'll end soon. And when that's how we feel, it's because we're not in touch with that life. When I hear something that's the life of God, the Word of God, I never get tired. Oh, I'm hearing that again. No, I want to hear it again and again and again and again. Because every time I hear it, it stirs up that gift that's in me. It stirs up that life in me. Paul says that I may attain from the resurrection of the dead. Talking about the church. (laughs) Raise the church from the dead. Praise the Lord. We need some of that. 
John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life. The life of God. It's a Greek word, zoe. It's only used of the life of God. And have that more abundantly. But Satan comes to steal, kill and destroy that life. So you have to count right. Ephesians 3.19, Paul prayed that we might be all filled. Listen to this. That you might be filled with all the fullness. Listen to this. I want you to get these words. This is Bible I'm quoting. That you might be... He's talking not to the pastors. He's talking to the church. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I've been accused of being full of it before. But I want to be accused of being full of God so full of God's presence, so full of God's Spirit, that wherever I go, it spills out of me. If I turn quickly, it flies off of me. That's what God's talking about here. We'd be filled with all the fullness of God. So now we're about to turn a page and to step into what God has for us for the year that's coming up as we learn to follow Him. So we must have the right attitude. Or what will happen is we'll get distracted will either be caught up in what's going on before and just holding on to what's going on before. And that's, we can do that. Keep going back over what happened this. Somebody didn't like me about this. This didn't work right. I prayed and this didn't happen. You know, when we've had prayer failures here, and we go back and look at that and look at that, and when you step out to pray for somebody else, the devil brings us back to you. We have to turn the page and know what to let go of. What to let go of. Because if we don't let go we can't enter in. I've used this example so many times before, but it's so clear. I know that's why God sent us to England. No, it was because my wife's dream. But there came a moment when we're standing at the gate of Delta Flight, whatever it was, at 8.30 on a Tuesday night. And I had, we have tickets to go to London. It's been her dream, and it was my promise to her for our 50th anniversary, so I was only two years late. And we have to make a choice. In order to go to London, no, this is not rocket science, we had to get on the plane. But to get on the plane, we had to leave Logan Airport. Because we couldn't stay in the United States and go to England. This isn't complicated. Okay? So you, but you, so you can't embrace what God has for you if you hold on to where you were. And that's where so many Christians are. We're trying to hold on to parts of this life, of this world, and yet embrace the kingdom of God and wondering why that's so hard. Why is this not working? Because we're not letting go of like what Paul let go of. Letting go of what lies behind. So what do we do? We must have the right attitude or we'll be caught up by what's happened and we'll be distracted by looking too far ahead. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 again. We'll pick up in 12. Not that I've already attained it. So Paul's just set his goal. I've given up everything I counted as refuge for this goal that I may know Christ, that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness which comes by, from God by faith, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the sharing of his suffering, that I may that, that be conformed to his death, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And here's 
where he was in that process. Not that I've already attained it. So Paul says, I've turned a page in my life, but it's not the end of the book. I've not arrived there yet. I don't know about you, but that gives me comfort. Because I often look at Paul as, whoa, that guy was right up there behind Jesus. I mean, Paul had it going on. But he says, yeah, but I haven't arrived there yet. Not that I've already arrived, attained, or I've already perfected. That word means completed or fulfilled it. But what do I do? This is what we have to do looking forward to this year. But I press on. I press on. That word, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. You're not here by accident. You're not in the kingdom of God if you are by accident. None of us are. Jesus told his disciples, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I knew what I got when I chose you. you he chose... I want to think about this. He chose you. He chose you. 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 Personally. And if we... have shared this so many times before. But if we had time this morning and I had each of you give your story of how you came to Christ, I guarantee you it would be a different story for each person because He came to you individually and personally. He knew just how to reach through to you. That's how special you are to Him. That's how precious you are to Him. And He called you. He called you. He says, that I may lay hold of, but see, we have to lay hold of what He's laid hold of us for. So He's laid hold of us, but we have to lay hold of Him. And how do we do that? By pressing forward. Verse 13. Brethren, I don't count myself of having apprehended it. That means achieved it. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. Now there are lessons we've learned this year. We don't forget those. But we forget what we've been through. We remember enough to be thankful, but don't dwell on them. Don't keep looking back. Don't limit, because what will happen is you'll limit what God wants to do with you by what happened before. Good or bad. Notice Paul doesn't say, uh, uh, for, I don't count, he, says, don't, he doesn't say forgetting the bad things that were before. He says, I forget the bad and the good. Not that God did things for him, but not holding on to them. Not holding on to them. And what do I do? One thing, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. It's very appropriate this time of year because we don't know what's ahead. And the message I did last year was the same thing. We, you know, we, we knew what we came through in 2019, but we did, or 20, but we didn't know what we were facing in 21. Many of us were hopeful that this thing would all be over by now. And it's not. But God's not up there ringing. His, I thought this was going to be over. My goodness, my me, you know. This is. I, I don't know what to do. No, God's already, as Pastor Ray said, God's already gone before us. And the Bible says He knows what you need before you ask. God's gone before us as He came before us this year. The problem is we're not in a position to hear and receive what He's provided for us because we're so busy figuring out where we're going or holding on to where we've been. 
I spent a whole year, several years ago, almost a whole year on one series. Because it was so important, because it boils everything down that you need to focus on. So it's, God's made it so simple that we have to work hard to forget it. And the instructions Jesus gave us were so simple. Follow me. That's it. He didn't say, figure out where you're going. He didn't say, master this. He said, you just follow me and I'll get you where you need to go. And Satan worked so hard to distract us. Well, what about this? What about mass or not mass? What about the election? What about this? What about these issues? And some of them are important issues. But even as you look at those issues, you've got to keep following him. Following him. One thing I do. Look at this, Paul. Paul said, I've simplified it all down, so it's not... One thing I do. I keep my focus on this. Forgetting what lies behind. And by the way, Paul had some things to forget. He'd executed Christians, persecuted the church, tried to destroy the church. And he was aware. It's not like forgetting him means he was not aware of them. He means he didn't hold on to them. He didn't focus on them. Because there were several places where he referred to what he did. But he didn't hold on to that. He let it go. And reaching towards the things which are ahead... That word reaching towards is a word that, that, that literally says stretching forward. And it's a participle, so it's an ongoing thing. And it's the term that's used of a race. Because back in those days, they had Olympic races also. But in those races, one of the, the, mostly there were, there were running races. And what they would do is, that, is at the end of the race, the guy that's trying to reach across that line, he stretches forward. Sometimes if you've seen these 100-yard dashes, they'll stretch forward. There's somewhere, I wish I'd thought of it ahead of time, there's a video of somebody that's trying to figure out where they are, and instead of stretching forward, they look this way, and they trip. Or somebody goes by them on the other side. Because we get distracted by who's running with us. We get distracted by all kinds of things around. Know where your focus is this year. Know where you're focused. Lady, those of, those of you that have been through childbirth, it's a laborious thing. And I remember the classes that we were in when our, before while she was carrying our children. They trained us, trained her to have a focal point when you're going through the contractions. Something that you bring it, you're familiar with, you stick on that wall. So when the things get tough and the pain's there and the contractions are there and you're, you, you, you want to give up, you, you, you keep looking at that and you control how you breathe. It was a focus point, a focal point. And Paul says, through all the things I've gone through, through all the things that are facing me, I've had a focal point, something I focus on, something I focus on, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So Paul, regardless of what he wrote, by the way, he wrote this in prison. To those things which are ahead, verse 14, I press on, that's another word of energy, of effort, focus, and effort. And so as we enter this year together, we must determine to have a focus and an effort to fulfill that focus and be aware of things that will distract us from that. Some of the things that come to distract us are obvious, but some of them are more subtle because they can be good things. John Brevere wrote a book a year, couple years ago and did a wonderful series called Good or God. Just because something's good does not mean it's God. 
what's God is what's God's will for you, not just what's good. And so we can be distracted by thinking, this is it, you've got to keep know where your focus is. And I've used this example over and over again, but I'm going to use it again. When we were, I guess I used it last week too. When we were in, in, in England, there were areas where they had signs up that said, beware pickpockets are in this area. And I took my wallet out, and I put it in this pocket, and I had my hand on it the whole time. Because I knew what he's after is my wallet, if there's one there. So, but pickpockets do is they distract you by bumping into you, distracting your attention, and they're very good at that. But see, because I know what he's after, I hold on to what he's after. So I don't care whether they bump into me or not, because I got a hold of what he's after. Well, Satan's a pickpocket. He will try to steal from you your focus. He will try to steal from you your destiny. He will try to steal from you what God wants to do in your life this year. He'll try to steal it from you, and He's very good at it. He's got thousands of years' experience, far more than you or I have. So if you just know where your wallet is, and you've got a hold of what, you're, what He's after, and what He's after is to get you distracted. At the end of the book, uh, of, the, of the wonderful book, Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim's going through this amazing journey with all kinds of things that came to distract him and take him off his path. I recommend you read the book. There's a movie out, but I recommend you read the book. And near the end, there's this very narrow path. He's getting close to the city, which is the end, which is his goal. So you get close to that city, he's going down a very narrow path. And there's a dragon that starts swooping in on him. The dragon's name is Apollyon. Tries to swoop on him and distract him to look off and get pulled off. And if he does that, he'll fall off the path. That's what he's after. I heard a pastor describe it this way. I'm just trying to give you different examples to to relate to some of them. And this was he was using to help pastors when things come at you, either personally or at the church, to distract you. So being a pastor, and so whatever applied in your life, a father, a husband, a a, a, a wife, whatever it is, it's like being a school bus driver. The school bus driver's responsibility is to get those kids to that school safely in this bus. So he stops at the bus stop, opens the door, kids get in, sit in the back, kids get in, sit in, they're obviously wearing the masks, sit in, <coughs> close the door to go forward. But what happens, especially in the springtime, is when you open the door, a fly may get in, or a bee may get in. So the bees are in there, or the flies in there, and the bus drivers drive it, and the bee or the fly start going bzzz, flying around like this. And so, what's the temptation to do? But when I do that, I take my eyes off of what my assignment is. I take my hands off of the device that gets me there, because I'm responsible for those kids. I'm not responsible to kill the fly. I'm responsible to get the kids safely to the destination. And so I've got to be focused on, keep your eyes on the road, John. Keep your hands on the wheel. If the fly lands on your nose, you keep your eyes on the road. Because whether that fly lives, if that bee bites you, that's nowhere near as important as you get those kids safely to that school. And I suggest to you, that all of us are to some degree or other like that school bus driver. The people that God has put in your life or will put in your life this year, that God has ordained you to have an influence on their life. 
They're like the children in the bus. And Satan will send flies and bees and all kind of issues and people to distract you from what God has called you to be or to do. So that if you start swatting at those bees, opening the window, get distracted by all these things that come at us, you won't get the people that God's put in your life where God, with the influence where God's called you to take them, to help them. And what was it? I press on towards the goal of the prize. And this is what motivates There's a prize. There's a prize. God's smart enough to know we're motivated by rewards. These credit card companies, what are they? They're going to get, I get the, all these offers here. If you spend this much money before Christmas, we'll double your points. They know we're motivated by rewards. God has a reward for you. But there are no expiration dates. There's no blackout dates. Those are eternal rewards. When I'm going through a difficult time, especially as a pastor, going through some of the challenges we've gone through, or just even in my own life, when I get up in the morning, and so I got up in the morning this morning, it's like, yesterday is Christmas. I've got to go to church this morning. No, it wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. I get up, but I remind myself, John, this is a privilege you have. You have a privilege that God would use you to speak to people He loves so much. But not only that, what motivates me, if you all decide you don't like me, and you get up and you go somewhere else, and there are people that have. When I have to deal with that, I go back to things. There's one thing, there's only one thing that motivates me. When I stand before the Lord, I want to hear these words. I don't care if I get a golden crown. I just want to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And that's an eternal reward. And I keep my eyes focused on that. I've shared this with you before. I've had a young man came and visit with me a few years ago. I think he still comes here. And, and he was just asking me, you know, all kinds of questions. And some of them were very challenging questions. And the end is, well, you know, you've been around a lot longer than I have. And, and you've been walking the Lord. What one advice could you give me? And I looked at him and I says, this is how I choose to live my life. I'm not perfect at it. I live my life backwards. I look at where I want to end up and I try to order my decisions on what's going to take to get me there. And what I want to get when I get to the end is to hear, well done, good and faithful. So when I look at a situation that may get me angry or upset or may challenge me or may want to get me discouraged, i got to come back and say, Lord... The way I handle this, I want to handle it in a way that when I stand before you will say, John, well done. Well done. And there have been many times that well done just means don't quit. Don't quit. But notice you have the purpose that has to be something that's intentional. So if you just go into next year and bump along and say, I want to try to do better, I got these resolutions, I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to pray, read my Bible better, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to know. It won't work. You have to be intentional on the right goal. Because when you're intentional on that goal, the Holy Spirit is in you to enable you with the grace and the wisdom to carry that out. I press on towards the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. I press on towards the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's some traps along the way. 
Paul recognized that he hadn't reached perfection. So we must accept that we're not there yet and not be discouraged. Hebrews 12 talks about, you don't have to put it up there, talks about the two things that happen when, when things don't go right. We can either be discouraged and faint or can we just harden ourselves and not look at it. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews talks about how to handle the disappointments. Paul talks about it, about forgetting what lies behind, forgetting the failures. Looking at each day as a new day. Lamentations 3, verse 21, famous verse. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Mercies. That word is the Hebrew word chesed, which of those of you that went through school of ministry will remember what that means. It's God's covenant word. It's often translated loving kindness. It's a word that implies the depth of God's strength and God's commitment to you no matter what you do. They're new every morning. You'll never run out of them. So when you fail, when you've got a bad day, when you've been and messed up, you understand God's mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No, great is His faithfulness. One of the statements I read that have changed my life was from a a wonderful um, uh, devotion by Oswald Chambers called My Highest, Upmost for His Highest. The other way around, I always get it mixed up. But there's one sentence around August 20th where he says, discouragement is, this discouragement is, is, uh, <laughs> I know it that well, don't I, Don? Discouragement is, is, is basically self-pity. It's disappointed in myself. If I'm disappointed in myself, I was expecting something of myself. And our focus has to be on who he is, on who he is. So, What does this mean for us? We're going to turn a page this week and the story of our journey to answer His call. Some of us may choose to put the book down. You'll be tempted to. I look back over this last year and I gave this same message a year ago and there are people that put the book down. Don't put the book down. Turn the page. You'll never finish the book if you stay on that page or you keep looking back. Some people will put the book down. Some people will choose to hold on to what's gone before because they don't want to go on to the next page, either good or bad. And some will keep on proceeding. And my prayer is that all of you will choose to join me in turning the page. We don't know what it lies. I do know this. The word I just keep getting is change. 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 We don't like change because we don't know what that change may bring. Even if we know what the change is, we, we don't like that. But change is a necessary part of life. If something doesn't change, it stagnates and it begins to die. And that's exactly what happens to churches. They stagnate. And what happens when water stagnates, things begin to grow on it. The pond out back doesn't move. So in the warmth of winter, of summer, what happens is algae begins to form on it because the water is not moving. It's stagnant. And when churches are stagnant, when there's no change taking place, when there's no growth taking place, then that creates an atmosphere where unhealthy things can begin to come in. Unhealthy attitudes, unhealthy spirits, unhealthy thoughts, unhealthy teachings can come in when we begin to stagnate. So change is necessary. Your body's changing all the time. And the only way it's going to stop changing is for you to die. So if you don't like change, you're going to die. 
change. So it will be a year of change. But if we endeavor and we do our best prayerfully to follow Him and keep our eyes on Him, that change will be the change that He's ordained for your life, for my life, for you, for this church. And when it's His change, it's always good change. Because God is a good God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I'll close with this. Just remember the prize. The prize. There's a prize for finishing strong. Paul said, I have run my race. I have finished my course. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And not for me only, but for all those who have done His will. Let's pray. Father, we've come look back on this year and we thank You that we've been able to come through this year. There are some of us that have suffered very difficult losses painful losses and especially at this time of year as we remember and look back the hurt is still very alive and very real in us but it's your will that we heal from those hurts it's your will that we eventually be made whole there may always be a scar to remind us but it will heal and we'll be strong and whole again if we will allow you to lead us on there's some of us that have suffered other kinds of losses there are others of us, that, others that have prospered and done well. Whatever it is, Lord, you're calling us to let go, to not hold on, and to turn and face 2022 together, united together with each other, but more than that, united together with you. Help this to be a time that we begin to refocus our lives on the only things that are really important. It's only the eternal things that really, really matter. So as we end this year together and begin to look forward to next year, we're asking the Spirit to help our focus become clear and to be your focus. And for these things, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close the service...